Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Amen, 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 amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning. We're going to be going to the book of Micah. The book of Micah, you'll find that in the Old Testament, um, right somewhere between Jonah and, uh, and the New Testament, okay? If you open up to the very middle of your Bible, if you have one and you haven't, uh, you know, opened it in a while, you'll find Psalms about in the middle. If you'll just turn again, you'll know, half it again toward your right, you'll be fairly close right there with Micah. For the rest of you, you have phones and you have iPads and uh, those things just go right where you want them. And then, uh, and then some of you, of course, because of translations and things, it's just easier to follow along on the big screen. We'll be in Micah chapter 6 here in just a moment. Micah chapter 6. And today we're going to be talking about your greatest day. Look at somebody and say, your greatest day is yet ahead. Oh, it is. Your greatest day is yet ahead. Let me tell you, it is for certain. I know that... One of my goals is, is that in the moment that I am taking my last breath on planet earth, I hope that I have enough consciousness and, uh, you know, enough collection that I can scream my greatest day is yet ahead. The greatest day. We face a greatest day yet ahead. You know, uh, Brenda has told me a number of times that if we're ever on an airplane, and I feel that moment, please be quiet. She just, I can't tell you the number of times when we hit turbulence that I want to scream, my greatest day is yet ahead. <laughs> uh, but I've refrained. <laughs> Your greatest day is yet ahead. You know, that's, that's what uh, Joseph, whenever he was about ready to die, 110 years old, he said to his uh, his family, he said, listen, you know, y'all swear to me that you're going to take me with you. Cause one day, you know, God's going to come and deliver you and he's going to take you back to the land of promise. And when he does, you take me with you, take my bones with you. You know, he was looking forward to a greater day and at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says many prophets came out of their graves in Israel and they went into the cities and towns and began to prophesy. You know, I don't know for sure, but I think that, that Joseph may have seen that day. But also, you know, there is coming a resurrection and uh, that will be a great day. But then there's coming again. We'll come back with the Lord with thousands and thousands of his saints. You know, that's going to be a great day. Then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That's going to be a great day. And then every day is going to be a great day throughout eternity. Isn't that amazing? We are headed for eternity. We're headed for something that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and neither has entered into the heart of any man. God has already prepared for us a day that we cannot fathom, we cannot understand we cannot even imagine. The apostle Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven and he saw things that he, he that there's just no, not even any words to describe. Isn't that amazing? Uh, we're headed for a great day and your greatest day is yet ahead. Have you found Micah chapter six? Micah chapter six. We're in a very important season of the year. In this particular season of the year, we are marching towards this spring festival that God instituted called Passover. 
It is the season every year that we celebrate what we in the Western world called Easter, okay? Uh, it is literally Passover and resurrection. We celebrate Easter as the resurrection day of Jesus Christ. Every year, God wanted the whole world to remember what he was going to do, to remember what he did and what he was going to do. He instituted Passover through Moses for the children of Israel so that they would have a memorial just like we today remembered the way that Christ died until he comes again. We did this with a communion. Each year, the children of Israel were instructed by God to put together a feast of remembrance, a memorial, a Passover feast. What they were doing is they were remembering how God delivered the children of Israel, how he delivered their ancestors out of death and out of bondage in Egypt, out of slavery. They were remembering how they had been delivered by the blood of a lamb. And it also pointed, it pointed forward, back to what God did and forward to what God was going to do. You see, because every Passover was a dress rehearsal for what God was one day going to do when he ultimately delivered his children from death and from bondage to this world in sin by the blood of another lamb, the perfect lamb, the lamb who took away the sins of the world. And so we're in this season of remembrance. In this season, we're in this season each spring that are reminded that Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary on Good Friday and then on Sunday morning he was resurrected from the dead victorious over sin death hell and the grave what a wonderful season we are in and each year we are reminded what God did not only in Egypt but what God did 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary um, I'm excited about this season we have just a few more weeks, just a few more Sundays before we celebrate the resurrection. Have you found Micah chapter 6? Verse number 8, the prophet is writing and he says this simply. He has shown you. God has shown you. Everybody say, God has shown me. Now, this is what it means. God has shown you. He has shown you, O oh man, and we'll go ahead and throw woman in there, mankind. He has shown every one of us. God has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God has shown you his requirements. God has shown you what he wants you to do in life. It's very simple. It's easy. You can do this. But it must be done on purpose. But you can do this. God has shown every individual what he requires from them. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. It is a requirement. It is a goal that God has for us. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan and you're a part of that plan. God knows what he's doing and he's putting everyone's lives together like pieces of a puzzle 
on this big table we call the universe. And God is making something out of each one of us. And collectively, we come together to paint a picture of redemption, to paint only one story that God is telling. The Bible only tells one story. It is a story of redemption. It is one picture. It's a picture of a loving God who sent his son to pay for our sins that we might forever be family. And each one of us has a part. There are three great truths I offer to you this morning. Three great truths for today. Number one truth is you were born with a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. We know that God spoke to Jeremiah and said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I already had a purpose for you. I already had a place where you would fit right into my plan. I knew what you were going to be. I created you by my own hand, by my own design, by my own desire. You see, God knows you. He knows you by name. He knows who you are. He knows where you live. He knows every thought that you think. Isn't that kind of scary? But it's true nonetheless. And he loves you. He knows what your heart wants. He knows what you intend. And he is trying to help you to succeed. He's trying to help you to feel better, be better, do better. He is trying every way to bring you into a place where you can see how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he has prepared for you. And he's trying to let you know that it's going to be be okay, but I need you to play this part. I need your help to make everybody else okay. That's what God is trying to tell us. Number one, you were born with a purpose. You might say, me, God doesn't know me. Yes, he does. He knows the number of the hairs on your head, the Bible says. He knows you, you individually. He will never leave you, never forsake you. When you were born again, he sent his Holy Spirit and came to live in you. He walks with you. He talks with you. He understands you. And he's guiding you and leading you and teaching you. He loves you. He cares about you. You are his child. God knows you. And you were born with a purpose. Number two truth for today. You may not know what that purpose is. You know, you just may not know what it is. Yes, you were born with a purpose, but you might be clueless. You know, most of the people in the world are absolutely clueless as to what their purpose is. You know, it's not the cognito ergo sum thing. Okay. Some of you go, what in the world was that? (laughs) It's, you know, why are you? God has a purpose for you, but you may not know what it is. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a purpose, and it doesn't mean that he's not going to work through you. It doesn't mean he's not going to use you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be fit and made to fit into the place and do his work and do his will. Let me tell you, you're going to do his work and do his will, but knowing what he's called me to do makes me a happy participant, fulfills me, engages me, and I get better at it. God is well able to hammer a square peg into a round hole. And that, that might be some of the trepidation you feel from time to time. Okay? The pounding and the pushing and the scraping. And the, but, you know, God has a commitment. 
He has a commitment and he is going to have his way. He has a plan. He will succeed even if it costs you, even if it costs him your life. Let me say that again. God has a plan. He will succeed even if it costs him your life. He's not intimidated by what it costs you. He's going to pay well. Okay. He's not a bit intimidated by using your time, using your energy, making you sweat. He's not a bit intimidated. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of what's going to happen in your future. He is not a bit short uh, uh, in, in his arms so he cannot reach and teach. And you will never catch God unprepared for what you're going to do. You will never catch God unprepared. Just ask Jonah. Jonah, you know, this, 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 this brat, prophetic brat. <laughs> You know, brats come in all kinds and sizes. There are mama brats and daddy brats and kid brats. And, you know, there are boss brats and employee brats. There's all kinds of brats. There are preacher brats and evangelist brats. And, you know, there are doctor brats. And there are, you know, lawyer brats. And there are truck driver brats. There are brats everywhere. God has a lot of them. (laughs) So... Jonah thought, well, I'll just, I'll just throw God a curve. You know what Jonah was thinking? Jonah was thinking, I can get out of Israel. I can get away from God because God is the God of Israel. And outside of Israel, really, maybe he's not there. He spends so much time with his people. Maybe he doesn't know what's going on out there. So I'm just going to get on a boat, and I'm going to go out into the water, and I'm going to get out of, off of, you know, past the 12-mile international limit, and God won't be out there. I'll go to Tarsus. Because I know that they're ungodly and God's not there. You know, God's everywhere. The Bible says that God had prepared a great fish. God is prepared. He's prepared for whatever anybody's going to do. And God knows how to get you right back on course. He doesn't mind pounding that square peg into that round hole. Or stuffing that prophet into the fish. Abraham told Isaac, his son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. What did that mean? Well, Abraham didn't even know what he meant other than the fact that he knew God would be prepared. He went up there and certainly he found a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. You know, God and Jesus didn't just slap their rings and go shazam or blink their eyes and cause that ram in that bush to be there. No. That took ages. It took ages and ages and ages. God was working every generation. It's quite possible that you might be the only reason why your ancestors ever existed for something that God wants done today. God is that specific. Or it could be that you are a link in the chain and it's not about you, but your purpose is to keep the chain intact for someone later that will come along from your lineage and going to make the greatest difference that God has for people to make. You don't know, but we do know our part. Our part is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. Why? Because the truth is you're born with a purpose. And most likely, you don't know what that is. That's quite possible. Number three, truth for today, is that God wants you to discover your purpose and he wants you to pursue your destiny. He wants you to be fully engaged. He wants you to understand what he's doing and he wants you to participate. Oh, he's going to use you. Okay. You might say, uh, no, he's going to use you. 
Even if you're a donkey, he's going to use you. You know, he's going to use you. Yeah. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Okay, everyone. Well, based upon these three truths today that you were born with a purpose, you may not know what it is and God wants you to discover it and he wants you to pursue it. Based upon that, only one question really remains and the question is, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, you know what? How can I know God's will for my life? Well, remember I told you we're in this season of, of, of leading up to Passover and leading up to the resurrection. Imagine with me that you are 33 years old. Can some of you think back that far? <laughs> Larry, does your brain, that's not in your RAM. You're going to have to access the hard drive somewhere back here. Yeah, probably in storage. You may have to actually, you know, have a cup of coffee while it's found or something. <laughs> oh, I'd pick on Larry. Okay. Imagine you're 33 years old and you have only 33 days to live. And you know it. And you're healthy and you're strong and you're full of wisdom, and you know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you know what he's called you to do, and you know that you have a mere 33 days before you will be nailed to a cross on what we will end up calling Good Friday. You see, that's where Jesus was in history on this day, to my calculations, 1,992 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago, on this date in history, it was a Sunday, okay? the first day of the week. Jesus was 33 years old, and he had 33 days until the day that he knew that he would be crucified as the spotless lamb giving his blood for the sins of the world because it would happen on that Passover feast when the lamb was to be slain. He knew it. He had already visited with Moses and with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they had given him this. He'd already told his disciples on his walk to Jerusalem what was going to be happening as he's leaving the Galilee for the last time and, and going through Samaria and walking and, and, and doing and, and telling and doing all these miracles. He's 33 days, just like we are today, 33 days from being crucified. And he knows the plan of God for his life. He could have stayed in Galilee and been safe. But he chose to go to Jerusalem. The Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew his purpose and he was going to pursue his destiny. Now imagine with me, imagine with me that you are 33 years old and you have 33 years, 33 months or 33 minutes to live and you don't know it. 
no matter how old you are today, you're marching toward death. Every day you get a day closer and you don't know what day it will be. Yet you have a purpose and a plan. You fit into the puzzle that God is putting together. You are a brush stroke on the canvas that God will offer eternity. You're in God's plan. You're born with a purpose. You have a part to play. And you won't be on this stage forever. It's important that we understand we are people with purpose. God has not forsaken us. God has not left us. We have a purpose. Imagine you're 33 years old with 33 weeks or 33 minutes to live and you don't know it. What are the chances that you're going to accomplish your purpose? If it were 33 days, do you think you're going to make it? What are the chances? Do you even know your purpose? Will your life count? Will you make a difference to anyone else? Are you even paying attention to, to the purpose? Are you even seeking to understand what it is that you can do that no one else can do better than you? That you've been chosen, created, and made Will you be successful? You see, you have one chance. And this one chance is called your life. Oh, God's going to use you. God will work all things together for good to them who love him and called according to his purpose. God is going to use you. But you could miss so much in this life, so much enjoyment, so much fulfillment, so much understanding that you are a player in a greater picture, that you are making a bigger difference than just trying to walk through life, paying your electricity bill and trying to make sense out of the arguments that other people have and, and, you know, and, and, and the aggravations and the anxieties and, and, and the traffic tickets and why in the world don't they have two turning lanes here instead of one and, uh, you know. We get caught up in such meager moments of life. When the God of the universe has created you by his own design and filled you with purpose and he has sent his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you because you were born with a purpose. God has a plan for your life. You are a part to God's greater picture. How can you know the will of God for your life? Well, number one, do justly. It begins with you making a commitment that you're going to do justly. What does that word mean? What did the prophet mean when he said do justly? If you were to study it and break it down and run it out in all of its Hebraic understandings and everything else and read all the scholars, you know what you would end up with? Do justly. You know what that means in Hebrew? Do justly. 
A little explanation of what doing justly is, it means that I will do. I will believe, I will accept, I will embrace God's judgments. What God says, I will embrace as truth. I will let God be right. I will do his judgments. I will perform his judgments. I will accept that what God says, that what God does, and that the way God handles something is the best. I'm going to let God be God. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to allow God to be right. I'm going to allow God to be true, and I'm going to accept God to be just in my eyes. When he does something that I don't understand, I'm going to say he is just. He knows what he's doing. He knows the end from the beginning. I am here but for a moment. I am in this, for, this play for only one short scene. He understands everything. He has written it beforehand. And I am here to do justly. To accept God as just. Love mercy. If I'm going to do the will of God in my life, I must not only accept God's judgments as true and right, but I must also love mercy. Mercy, what does this mean? This means to perform all the acts and all the duties that are required by kindness, by benevolence, and by charity. That I'm going to walk in life doing all the things that love demands. I'm going to be merciful, kind, benevolent, tender-hearted, forgiving. I'm going to walk in life doing what is required of a person who loves mercy. I'm going to love to love others. That's what it really means. I'm going to love. I'm going to be in love with loving others. Oh, you can't imagine being like that. You're going to miss out on some joy. Life is work. Y'all know life is a long game, right? Yeah. Relationships, long game. You cannot win a long game with short game strategies. Okay? If you're going to win the long game and life is a long game, some games are short games. Okay? Marriage is a long game. If you play marriage with a short game strategy, you're going to have to start over and over and over and over and over. Hello? Relationships are long games. You've got to play it with a long game, a long game strategy. Life is a long game. You've got to look farther down the road, and what you have to do is harness your emotions and harness your feelings and, and harness your actions, and you have to tell yourself, self, I am going to believe that what God does is right. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to accept his word as just. I am going to do what he says. I'm going to do his judgments, and I am going to love mercy. I am going to make myself love to love others. It's work. It's a long game, and it's work, but work. Work on it because it's worth it. Either that or just sit for the rest of your life in some old sour pickle juice. Sull up and sit there. You'll end up life, you know, with, you know, you'll be a joy to live with. Hey, this is good stuff. 
<laughs> I have a feeling Kelly's going to have something to say to me a little later. Come on. Get in love. Fall in love with love. Fall in love with loving others. Love mercy. Do justly love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? That means that I need to walk in such a way in life that I am portraying. I have owned and I am showing others that I walk with a dependence on God. That I'm dependent on God, that I have to trust God for life, that I have to trust God for everything. I am dependent on God. That's what humility means. Humility does not mean that I got my head down and I, and I, you know, uh, and I can't talk loud. Humility means that I know that I am dependent upon God. Walking humbly with the Lord, with my God, means that every day I am walking in a place and in a way that others can see that I own a dependence on God and that I demonstrate a dependence on God. In my private life and in my public life, I depend on God. Giving glory to God for everything. Giving God the credit. I'm dependent on Him. And it's to His credit that I look so good this morning. That's what you need to say to yourself. Instead of in the mirror and saying, oh, look, look, look here. Look at me. Okay. The Bible teaches that these are simple steps that lead us all to discover our purpose. These simple steps will lead you to discover your purpose. Deciding that God is right. Deciding that you're going to love mercy. You're going to be benevolent. You're going to love to love others. You're going to work on this. And you're going to walk humbly knowing that you owe God everything. These simple steps will cause you to begin to see purpose in your life. You'll begin to see God using you. He's going to use you anyway, but you'll begin to recognize God using you. You'll begin to discover your purpose. And as you do, you can begin to work with God and participate with him. You can parlay that into a real win. And people, you watch, people who would not respond favorably to you before begin to respond favorably to you whenever they see you demonstrating a just walk with God, when they see you walking justly with God, when they see you loving mercy and being forgiving and being benevolent and kind and caring, when they see that you're more than just an aggravated, irritated old lump of clay. They begin to have a different respect for what you're saying. They begin to have a different um, uh, opinion of you. And whenever they see you walking humbly and they understand that you depend on God, you're not just trying to muscle it through and make it happen. And you're not just, you know, just, 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 just pushing through life or trudging through life. That you have a hope in God. And you're dependent upon Him for your next breath, for your next paycheck. Yeah, you might be a great worker, but you need to give glory to God. You might be a great salesman, but give glory to God. Walk humbly with your God. In order to do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your God, number one, you must be born again. 
if you're not born again, everything I'm saying just doesn't make much sense. And you might end up, if you followed it, getting better. But we're not here to make bad people better. We're not here to make, you know, you feel better about being bad or make bad people better. We're here to make dead people live. You must be born again. You must be born again. If you're having difficulty walking, you know, humbly with your God or loving, if, if, if you have a difficulty being in love with loving others, if you have a, a, a problem with doing God's justice and believing that he is right, then please check, are you born again? More than just a mental ascension, you cannot be a second generation, third generation, fourth generation Christian. God only has children. He has no grandchildren. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God from your mother and father. You cannot inherit it. It must be a first generation experience. You must be born again. Number two, you must be faithful. Being born again is not enough to walk in the joys of the Lord. If you're wanting to walk with a joy unspeakable and full of glory, if you're wanting the peace that passes all understanding, if you're wanting a happy, fulfilled life, then you must be born again and you must be faithful. You need to be faithful to your job. Hello? The Bible says if you'll be a good steward over that which belongs to somebody else, God will give you that which is your own. It's important. We spend a lot of our lives on our job making sure that we're working so we can provide for our family and so that we can do the things that God needs us to do. You need to be faithful on your job. You need to be faithful to your family. You need to make sure that your family holds a priority in your life, that you are faithful to your family, that you're doing the things that your family needs, not what you need, what they need. Do justly, love mercy. Life is about others. The short game strategy is it's about me. It's about me, it's about me, it's about I, it's about whatever it is. It's all about me. Y'all remember that old song? I did it my way. Yeah, I did it my way. <laughs> Please be faithful. Be faithful on your job. Have you ever had a boss that wouldn't leave you alone and told you everything to do and was always on you and told you how to do it and you needed to do it this way and you told you when you didn't do it right? Can't that be frustrating? Bosses, have you ever had an employee that you had to tell them everything to do? And you wouldn't do it if you didn't tell them to do it. And, and then they wouldn't do it the way you wanted to do it. And, and then, uh, can't that be irritating? Have you ever had a God that wanted to tell you what to do? And always, I mean, you couldn't even go to church without feeling like that there's one more thing I had to do. You ever had a God that, that, that wanted to make you better and help you be better and, and was always, you know, pointing to some scripture that, that you needed to start doing in your life? God, have you ever had some kids that had to be told everything to do? Sure. You had a, ever had a parent that told you you couldn't do what you wanted to? Parents, you ever had a kid that you had to tell them everything to do that dad gummit? It looked like that they got a problem with frontal lobe development. <laughs> Everybody does that. Everybody's in a world where we're not watchful. We just look at it from our standpoint. Be faithful. Be faithful. Job, be faithful to your family. Be faithful to your church. 
Do you know the church is the bride of Christ? It's not the girlfriend of Jesus. I hope you don't come here date, trying to date the girlfriend of Jesus. Okay? That's a lot of people's association with church. They just come like they're on a date, like they're somehow just checking out the girlfriend of Jesus. No, it's the bride of Christ. And we get a chance to be a part of the bride of Christ. There is nothing more wonderful and glorious in all the earth than the church of the living God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's the family of God in the earth. Jesus died for the church. He's coming again for the church. The church is his bride. Get involved. Be faithful to the church. No greater power on planet earth or in heaven than the church, the family of God. Be born again. You must be faithful and you must be willing to let others see Christ in you. You must. This is one thing you may be lacking. If you say, well, I just, I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm having problems buying into what God believes is best doing justly or loving mercy. I'm having problems forgiving or, or, you know, just, 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 just being in love, just, just being in love with loving others and, and just really wanting to make their day happy and, you know, really wanting to, you know, uh, be used by God to encourage and to be blessed instead of, instead of bless me, bless me. Oh, they're not blessing me. They're not making me feel any better. Oh, come on now. Get out of that. And walking humbly, dependent on God. If you're having trouble with that, listen, then, it, 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 it could be that you are born again. It could be that you're faithful, but you may, you may be hiding. You may be a secret Christian. You've got to be willing to let others see Christ in you. You need to own your relationship with God and show it to others. You'll be surprised how much joy that will bring you in helping you to discover how God is using you every day and the opportunities that he gives you to be a part of his plan, to discover your purpose, to bring Christ to others and to pursue that destiny. You can do this. Passover is soon approaching. We have 33 days left to celebrate before Good Friday, before we celebrate Jesus going to the cross. I'm going to ask you to do something along with me this morning. I'm going to make a fresh commitment. I'm going to make a fresh commitment. I'm going to tell God this morning, number one, I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. During this next 33 days, I'm going to work on me. Okay? I'm going to work on me because I want to be used by God. And I want to know when I'm being used. I want to be filled with the joy of being used by God. I want to feel like I have purpose. I want to feel like I, you know, I want to feel like I have a part. You know what I mean? I want to, I'm, I want to feel like I'm a player. Yeah. I want God to use me. So I'm going to uh, tell God that I'm going to make a commitment this morning that these next 33 days, I'm going to work on myself and I am going to do what is right. Number two, I'm going to perform all the duties that is required by love. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and give up my rights to be, give up my rights to be sour. That's a good word for it. I know y'all don't live with me, but I can be sour. Yeah. I don't have to say anything, but I can be distant. I can be so busy up here that I'm not connected out here. 
I'm going to perform the duties required by love. And I'm going to own up to and I'm going to show others that I trust and depend on God. That's going to be my prayer this morning.